Hello dreamers, thinkers and doers. Welcome to Ideate with Florian. This is the podcast that dives into the minds of innovators and risk takers who've dared to make their dreams a reality. I'm your host, Florian Hornaar, and through my 25-year journey in the software industry, I've had the privilege of contributing to small and medium-sized companies in various roles, including software engineering, sales and management. As a lifelong learner, I cherish the opportunities to connect with professionals from diverse fields and grow together. I'm excited to explore the journeys of our guests with you. So let's dive in. In this episode, we're joined by Louise Abreu, a software entrepreneur who has successfully launched multiple startups, including his most recent venture, Cypher. Luis will be sharing his insights on the importance of penetration testing, the risks associated with data storage, and the challenges of managing multiple projects and allocating resources effectively. We'll also hear about his journey of growing a software company from a team of just five employees to a thriving organization with 120 members. Luis will discuss his motivation for writing Vision to Value, a book that outlines the operational framework he developed to help tech companies scale effectively. Additionally, we'll dive into Cypher, a platform designed for ethical hackers to manage projects and reporting with their customers. This innovative solution aims to streamline collaboration and improve efficiency in the rapidly evolving world of cybersecurity. So if you're interested in growing a company and picking up on the latest innovations in ethical hacking, don't miss this episode. Welcome from sunny Portugal. Good morning, Luis. Hello, good morning. Indeed, it's very, very sunny here. It's pretty sunny in the Netherlands as well, but you really look like you're in a sunny spot and uh, (laughs) good on you, good on you. And I understand that you're traveling between Amsterdam and Portugal, Lisbon? Yes, indeed, because so I'm uh, originally from uh, Portugal, but I've been living in the Netherlands, in Amsterdam for, for many years now, around 15 but well, I definitely miss my home country sometimes, and uh, especially in the winter times, I tend to uh, go to the sunny places of Portugal. I can totally imagine, yeah. <laughs> and what brought you to the Netherlands 15 years ago? Actually, for studies. So I went to Delft University, to the technical university. So I did Erasmus program to finalize my studies there. And well, it should have been a one-year journey, but it, it turned into a, a little bit longer uh, a stay, actually. Because uh, I've known you for, I think, since 2008. So it makes us, yeah. well, so that's, that's 15 years. It's, it's a little bit of a story, but that's a bit of an adventure, actually, right? Yeah, indeed, indeed. Uh, because, I mean, I was not planning to stay that long. And, and actually, when I went to study uh, in, uh, in, in Delft, I was in computer graphics, so not in the area where I'm currently uh, at. So I really thought, well, in computer graphics, I could work in gaming, gaming industry, for instance, But at a certain moment in time after uh, graduating, I really felt that going to cloud applications was my thing and was also the future and was revolutionizing a lot of uh, industries. So I really wanted to be a part of that. So I made a very quick jump. And that's when I then started to work for this internet apps application in Delft that you are very familiar with, uh, Octavalent, where we were just yeah building websites, web applications, CMS for a lot of companies. And eventually ended up doing payroll. Yeah, indeed, indeed. There was uh, one client who wanted something a little bit more or bigger than just a CMS, or perhaps it started as a online portal, but then, well, there was the need to have 
a payslip being calculated somewhere in a in a in a backend. So that's turned into a very big project eventually. That uh, yeah started a, a whole new company, a whole new product called uh, Numbers Numbers Payroll. Right. So while you're working at Octavlent and and I worked at that company too, I I was one of the owners when you left. I came, you left. That was sort of the story. I think we, we've seen each other yeah. at the office then. And <laughs> we said, we, said we high, waved high at each Exactly, exactly. Like a yeah, train passing. Yeah, yeah. So that's where Numbers started. And then Numbers grow out to be one of the bigger payroll companies in the Netherlands. Or, or what, what exactly is the functionality? How would you describe Numbers? Yeah, so Numbers is a payroll engine. So it's a payroll HR cloud application where accountants and uh, businesses can run payroll uh, for their customers. And uh, let's say the the difference or the revolution there is that it was all about doing payroll together uh, with their customers and with their employees. Right. Uh, because traditionally, payroll was these type of applications that were done yeah, by the accountant, totally disconnected from everything else. Although it was very clear that all the data to process and manage employees was coming from the HR departments. And the idea of numbers was to connect, bring together those worlds, HR, payroll, fully fully connected, uh, so that in the end, employees could be served uh, better. And then you wrote a book about it. Yeah, kind of, kind of. So <laughs> yeah, the book came actually a little bit later because for numbers, so I started as, uh, as the first developer. So with my technical background, eventually grew to a development manager. So we had our own team of developers that I was managing. Then I also took under my wing uh, the customer support team. So I started to take more operational responsibilities within, within the company. So a lot about setting up teams, processes, etc. And it was mostly with the learnings of that journey of starting from a small company. And when we started, we were perhaps around five and, and then we grew to uh, 120 on the moment I wrote the book. And of course, for me, it was a lot of discovery, which I also, to learn from it, I discussed approaches with a lot of other people on similar journeys from other companies, other entrepreneurs and, uh, let's say, uh, operating officers. And then there were a lot of patterns, a lot of similarities, and that was kind of the motivation to compile everything into a book, all the techniques uh, or a lot of techniques, you know, that you normally need to grow a company. So that's, let's say, a future me in a way or for someone else who goes into a similar path could already sort of, uh, well, get a, a sort of a quicker start. And did you write the book uh, in anticipation of you leaving the company or is that completely unrelated? The book was written on the moment that so uh, in the company I was doing both the, the technical part, so let's say CTO and also the operational part, COO. That was not sustainable for the long run. So it was kind of in a moment that I had to choose one of those options to keep developing myself. And I chose more the technical parts because, well, I thought that's more what I like. It's more my backgrounds. But I also see a lot of uh, interesting stuff happening in this space that could bring a lot of new opportunities. And that's when I decided to, let's say, quit in a way the operational part. And, and, and that so the book was kind of the ending of that uh, journey. Ah, right, right. And by the way, I will link to the book in the show notes. So people interested in, in, in the book about how to run a software company yep. can, can read all about it. 
At a later stage, and, and we're going to talk about your current venture. Uh, absolutely, Numbers was acquired. Both how do, how would you describe that by Visma? Yeah, acquired. And how did that change your role? Let's say on the daily operations, not a lot of impact because so I kept being CTO of the company. So my let's say responsibilities just remained. Well, it's also the approach of Visma once companies are acquired to keep them working as is, whereas some corporates, they acquire and merge, you know, then all the departments are merged with other departments, things like that. In case of Visma, that's not really the case. So we just turn into a business unit, sort of an independent business unit with the same name, same team, everything the same. So that that didn't change a lot. Of course, from a more personal perspective, to come from owner to an employee, that of course has has, has quite some impact uh, because yeah, then at least I see things from a different perspective. And at the end of the day, you need to report to your boss, and the boss of course has to report to uh, his boss or shareholders. So the game uh, becomes a uh, slightly different. That's perhaps a good uh, moment to jump to your current venture. Yeah, so you now yeah. run a cybersecurity company. That's uh, from from going from payroll to cybersecurity. Exactly. Feels like a big, a big jump. There are some connection points. Also, maybe good to mention that, yeah, meanwhile, from numbers or between numbers and, and cyber. So the current venture, I also started other ventures as well. So I always had a bit of the urge to, uh, yeah, start a new project or to explore certain ideas uh, uh, in the market. The other two ventures didn't turn into anything, actually. So we decided to actually really stop. But came really great learnings from from those. Mm-hmm. Uh, so also gave me more confidence to then start Cyber to start uh, yet yet another one. I felt just better uh, equipped for it. So the idea from Cyber actually came during my work at Numbers uh, because I was responsible for tech, everything that was tech related, including security. So I had to uh, implement proper security uh, profiles, uh, security processes, vulnerability scanning, etc., to ensure that the data of our customers was fully fully secured. Yeah, because to recap that a little bit, um, we talked about that the software that you run with numbers is payroll software. So mm-hmm. we're talking about people's salaries, we're talking about very confidential data that just cannot be hacked. That's just not an option, right? Exactly, exactly. So that was always one of the biggest concerns we had from a technical perspective was just to keep the data safe. And of course, the product is fully in the cloud. So that used to raise quite some questions regarding security, data location, privacy, et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of attention was going was going into that area. Does that make you a, a pen test expert? Because your current company does pen test as a service. Are you a pen test expert because of your experience by numbers or how would you explain? Uh, no, I would totally not consider myself a pen test expert because so my, let's say, introduction to pen testing was from the customer side. So as CTO of numbers, I had to hire uh, what you call ethical hackers. So these really uh, pen test experts that are able to hack or at least they try to hack in any kind of systems. And that's a type of project you do to check your own security, you know, so you really give them an assignment as in, okay, try to hack my product and and they will hack it, but they will not exploit it. They will not steal data. So they are the the good ethical hackers, uh, but they will explain you and tell you how they did it and how they can uh, uh, enter. So it's like hiring a, a, a burglar. 
to burgle your, your building. And then once he's in, he's like, I'm in. And then you exactly. ask him, how did you do it? And he's like, well, the door was open and maybe you should put a lock there. Is that uh, a right analogy to penetration testing? Exactly. That's, that, that's kind of how it works. And, uh, and in the past, these kind of projects were, yeah, really that you would hire this special team and, and it was a bit happening under the table because the services was probably not as professionalized or streamlined as they start to happen uh, nowadays. And that's when the idea for the cyber platform comes into play because once I was hiring these uh, ethical hackers, there was really not a clear process or way for them to communicate with our team. And also at the end of the day, they were just sending a report with a lot of information but hard to make it actionable for my team Mm -hmm. because once they have findings it's very important to track if the findings have been uh, have been fixed and if not why not and the and the risk per finding so that to to have that whole sort of profile there and i was really missing that that part and and how is cypher different from, from from the competition or previous experiences how do you work yeah, so what Cyber offers, then it's the whole uh, platform for these ethical hackers to use so that they can manage the whole project and the reporting together with their customer. So in the old days, uh, ethical hackers were just using no specific tool for this and they were just writing these reports in Word. But of course, these reports nowadays have a lot of standardizations. There's, there's a lot of compliance norms that you have to follow. There's a lot of... Uh, findings that are repeated so you know there's a need to streamline as much as much as possible and of course there's also way more demands from tech companies to have pen test services so that they ensure that their uh, applications are secured so with all this happening uh, so the introduction of these cloud portals really starts to be super critical for cybersecurity firms to grow into the next level to be prepared for these new demands of cybersecurity services so actually cyber is very pioneer in this in this area so there are some competitors in the space yet uh, but we are really exploring a whole new uh, trend here because I can remember when we used to do penetration testing, that was really a thing. It was a complete project that, that you, you went on to select a, a, a consulting company and they would come in, spend three days, then charge you an arm and a leg. Uh, but penetration as a service almost sounds like something that is continuously running maybe every week. Is that where the industry is going to? Yeah, so it's going into that direction where you have these vulnerability scanners that are indeed running every day or running every week. But at the end of the day, it's always the combination of that and the ethical hackers who are, let's say, very creative to come up with total new approaches of entering your your application. Because so the vulnerability scanners only scan or detect what was already previously found by someone. So they they just automate certain checks that a human already found. And the beauty of penetration testing is that you combine both, but you also focus a lot in the in the manual part. And of course, it's also all about how much budget do you want to spend in a test. So normally, when you spend less budget, there's more automation and less uh, manual testing. But once you really want to uh, be sure that, you know, there's no uh, possibility for anyone to enter, then you normally also allocate more budget to it. And then you will have a team of people really trying 
crazy stuff sometimes to enter. And uh, crazy stuff can also mean not only technical things, but also social engineering, really trying to uh, enter the building to impersonate that they are a colleague from another company and want to speak with someone, uh, things like that. So you actually go on site. I heard that if you put on a reflective vest and you carry a ladder, you can get in any building. You just say, hey, I'm going to do maintenance. And you just walk exactly. straight through the door, right? That's social engineering. Exactly, exactly. Uh, yeah, indeed. So it can be very broad as well. Mostly pen testing is on the technical aspects of the system, but it could also go into the organizational part, building security, uh, all that. This season of the What's the Big Idea podcast is sponsored by Collaboration Superpowers. We help individuals, teams, and leaders work together from anywhere successfully. And just for listeners of this podcast, we have a special remote working success kit ready for you. With everything from personal user manual templates to team agreement guides, virtual meeting planners, and team building tips, you can download your remote working success kit from collaborationsuperpowers.com slash superkit. And now, on to some big ideas. You mentioned that you did a, f- a few initiatives, startups, while you were working at, at Numbers. For Cyber, you made the decision to actually quit your job. So wh- how is Cyber different than, than these other initiatives? What makes you jump the ship? Um, I think what I learned from the other initiatives was to spend more time on the early stage of, let's say, market fits, really market analysis, talking to people and really get a feeling for demands a new product. I guess perhaps with my technical background in the previous ventures, it was more about, let's say, building a product that I thought, okay, this is a great idea and someone else will also use it, like it. For Cyber, the approach was slightly different. And that's why, so actually the first year of Cyber was just, um, yeah, market research, just talking to pen testers, also being customer of pen testers, uh, checking how they were doing the services, showing some drawings of how a platform could look like just to get their feedback if they would use or yeah if they would feel the need to use such such platform and and because that analysis had a positive outcome so that gave the motivation to actually decide to invest in building a first version of the of the platform to really prove or to at least show them how it could really really work so you spend a whole year before you actually did the file new project and start building the software. Yeah. Don't you get like antsy where you're just like, I just want to get started coding. I mean, that's, that's what the software engineers do, right? A whole year seems a lot of restraint. No, indeed. But uh, I, I mean, uh, for me, it was not just about uh, coding. So that was not, let's say, the reason why I started. But it was more as in, so I really believe that in pen testing, uh, customers are served better with this, with this portal, much better than just getting a PDF report. They would rather go to a portal to see the findings, to click on the findings, to chat uh, with the pen testers asking questions, so really to collaborate together. So I had a strong belief in that. So the motivation was mostly to explain or not convince, but to explain or to show this vision to pen testers for them to become enthusiastic about it. And that was all done with slide decks, drawings, things like that. Yeah, so actually the 
building parts, yeah, that, that becomes indeed sort of, okay, now we need to implement. So can we really prove it again so that they can really try themselves and give again positive feedback on it? So it was more about that part. It sounds like you postponed the uh, the engineering part, the actual building part, to as, as late a state as possible, just to market validate first. Yeah, and, and, and that's an approach that we keep doing in the software development process. Because, I mean, once you start building, there's always a lot of ideas for things that, that you want to build. But we always first try to have a very concrete use case and customer need before we decide to invest in a, in a certain functionality. So there's always a business case behind every feature we build or every bigger functionality. There's always a business case behind. And the investment is in money, but um, I also feel there's an investment emotionally. That once you start developing a functionality, you start to believe in it and you create sort of a blind spot for the weaknesses of that functionality. Not sure if you if you recognize that, but uh... yeah, uh, I think I do. Um, we try to start from the customer and also work the use case with the customer as well, already to sort of set expectations together. So we actually spend quite some time on that, uh, especially with bigger customers that have very specific needs. We just spend a lot of time just writing together user stories, so that we try to align our mental models together as much as much as possible before building so that building becomes more sort of sort of a implementation exercise than a creative process on that moment we are you know because we try to, to split it uh, before yeah yeah and and i mean there's still a lot of creativity necessary to build a kick-ass product you know to, to to actually implement it but i understand what you're saying it's an implementation thing then and uh yeah. I mean, of course, there's always the, the, the product design and the UX part, how it's going to look like. Of course, that, that part is yeah. done at a, at, a, at a later stage, uh, for sure. And there's a lot of creativity there, of course. I can understand that you take a lot of lessons from numbers to your new startup. But I can also understand that there's, there's things that you do different now because you're with a smaller team. You don't have the financial backing of a multi-million dollar company. Can you just highlight a few of these changes that, that are most apparent to you? Yeah, so the, the funny thing is that, so of course, Numbers was a much bigger company with way more resources, etc. But from the beginning, as was also a bootstrapped uh, company. And that concept was I always... remember that phase, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, of course, when you start, you, there's always something missing. But the funny thing is that once you are bigger, there's always something missing as well, you know, because if there's continuous growth, there's new customers uh, onboarding that you need to consider maybe new use cases that you have to uh, implement. But there's always a lot of uh, commercial activities that, that you also have to take into account. So, you know, there's always more in the backlog than what your team can do in a reasonable amount of time. And there's always more ideas than what you can achieve. So that part, I think it's very similar coming to cyber uh, because the feeling is exactly exactly the same of course everything is then much much smaller it's in a different different stage and i think for me the part or the new challenge let's say that that's more different is that in cyber i'm uh, leading the entire company so i'm also able to connect the commercial parts and the product parts uh, together while in numbers, uh, teams were more, uh, uh, let's say, independent uh, in a way. So I was more with a technical scope, of course, interacting with the with commercial scope. But I see a lot of value of being more together with the customer, giving demos, showcasing the product, 
collecting feedback and then bringing that feedback into product development into a more shorter line. And you mentioned that um, Numbers was bootstrapped in the beginning. Uh, later, it was a larger company. I think you were 150 employees. Is that about the right size? Around around that size, indeed. And did you consciously foster the idea of being bootstrapped while the company was growing to that size? Yeah, so it was really a decision to not bring external investors to accelerate growth. Yeah, there's all kind of reasons for that. Of course, I mean, the fact that when you are full owner, you have also the whole flexibility and the freedom to make a long-term plan, which we also thought that is more beneficial to customers in the end. Because, well, sometimes investors are uh, looking to a shorter period of time and that could compromise, let's say, long-term company growth, in my opinion. And, and what's your approach for Cypher when it comes to uh, this This needs a big investment, of course, like every software company does. Do you plan to bootstrap again or are you looking to work with investors? So, so far it's been fully bootstrapped. So, well, there's no uh, other investors uh, aboard. We are in the phase to see, to learn some cycles, uh, sales cycles, development cycles, to see how the industry goes and the demand and to, you know, get a bit of a good feeling for the industry to have maybe better metrics or a better baseline to know how much we would need to invest in marketing sales to get certain customers aboard and maybe once that is more clear, then the question is, okay, so we know how much we put in and we know how much we expect to get out. Uh, then the investment decision or uh, equation would be in place. Right. But currently I find it's too early because it can be quite unpredictable. Right. That makes sense. That makes sense. So you want to first see where you're going and what the metrics are and then see how investments actually accelerate growth Instead of, but you need to have some growth first autonomously. Yeah. So, of course, to start this first phase, I had to invest myself. And I did so because I truly believe there's a future for this industry and, and, and there's, there will be a lot of demand in this industry. And we are in a very good position to grow there. But I also feel that, yeah, as a company, we need to have certain processes better in place or better optimized to think about grow growing faster. But I mean, so far, very positive. So we are onboarding uh, new customers every month. And of course, that validates the, the need for the platform. Also, they bring feedback so we know exactly what to improve in the, in the platform. So we are now in this sort of uh, learning cycle because once we get feedback, we make it better. Perhaps it's going to be easier to sell it in the future. So we are in that, in that phase at the moment. So the company is, is growing for sure. This is always a bit of hard questions that I ask in, in my podcast is, why is this your calling? Why do you feel that this is something that you need to do with your time? You could have stated numbers, you could have done anything with your time, and now you say, okay, I really want to do this. You mentioned market opportunity, but that, that cannot be the whole reason, right? No, exactly. I mean, I feel there's definitely something in cybersecurity and, and on the needs uh, for software products to be better secured. Because what we see is more and more we are exposing our data to other entities. We are storing data in servers that we don't know. I also see the complexity of the applications is increasing. And that brings vulnerabilities that even teams that are building the software don't understand. 
And I experienced that also as a software builder in the past as well. Uh, sometimes, yeah, there are vulnerabilities that we don't even are aware that are there. So there are increasing risks there. So I think the combination of those risks and people putting more data in places that they don't really know where it's stored, I think it can bring a lot of impact to our society. So I would like to be in a place where uh, systems are better secured. And I believe, I think that with cyber, I feel I'm contributing for that. Uh, so I'm not a ethical hacker myself. So I'm not the one, let's say, finding, exposing vulnerabilities. But I hope that by making the work of ethical hackers better, more streamlined, they can serve more customers, they can serve them better. And with that, uh, with the help of the platform, end customers can also solve the vulnerabilities quicker so that in the end, we all have yeah, more secured uh, software. That sounds like a very good reason to get out of your bed and do your best work. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> to avoid the data data leaks. Yeah, and, and, and I can attest to the fact that software is getting more complex. And um, like you said, we, we don't know what we don't know. You know, as a software developer, you do whatever you can to keep data safe. But if you don't know about the vulnerabilities, you, then you, you can't code against that. Exactly, exactly. And that's why at the end of the day, you do need external teams to check what you don't know, because I guess as humans, we have a bias to focus on what we know and, and a bit of a blind spot for the unknown unknowns, uh, if, you, if you get what I mean. Yeah, yeah. So just to conclude with Cypher, so you do cybersecurity, you do penetration testing. What exactly is your business model? How would you define your business model? Where do you, where do you make money? Where do you have your costs? Yeah, so the business model is it's pretty simple. So we sell the product to uh, cybersecurity firms that are doing uh, pen testing themselves. Okay, so your client is a cybersecurity firm. Exactly. So they use our product uh, fully white labeled so that they can render their services in their own branding. And then we have three flavors of the of the product. Uh, for smaller teams, we have the starter plan. For medium teams, we have the professional plan. And for, let's say, bigger, bigger companies, the enterprise. So it's a monthly uh, base model. And basically the difference is the feature sets on the different on the different plans. So if I run a small pen test firm and let's say I've got uh, 20 people working with me, would I be on the starter? Would I be on the professional? So with 20 people would be already on the professional. So the professional is designed for teamwork already within a cybersecurity firm, whereas the starter is more for either freelancers or very small teams, maybe a team of two people, three people that are just working together to uh, do pen testing. Right. And then your software would help me become more professional towards my client, the eventual, the, the software developers themselves. Exactly. Yeah. Because if you have a team of 20 people, probably you are doing hundreds of projects per year. So that means that you have to definitely manage the, the, the different projects, manage the, the, you know, the customers as well, uh, allocate people, uh, pen testers to the, into the projects, and of course, reduce as much manual work as you, as you can, uh, mostly on the report generation part that normally takes a lot of typing. So with our tool, we try to uh, optimize that as much as possible with yeah, all kind of functionality uh, 
that you can uh, have uh, libraries of, of content, but also the latest experiment we did with uh, Chat GPT, mm -hmm. where uh, we have. We didn't use Chat GPT today, huh? <laughs> uh, <laughs> exactly, no, but uh, we thought, well, at least people can generate part of the report, at least as a starting point, and Chat GPT can do that. Uh, but of course, it's all about uh, checking the quality at the end because the quality is what you bring to the customers. And it's about informing customers really well about the vulnerabilities and the risks and, 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 and how to solve. Right. So you're not cutting out the middleman. It's not like you as a, as a software um, vendor sell directly to other software vendors. No, the middleman, the, the pen tester stays there. Uh, the word that I take out of this, uh, this interview is the word creativity. Because you need the creativity of that middleman, if I if I uh, indeed, if I, indeed. If, if I may use that word. Yeah, so that's something that I strongly believe. As we discussed before, I do see the rise of the vulnerability scanners, and I'm not against vulnerability scanners. I encourage teams to implement vulnerability scanners as well. The thing is that vulnerability scanners will only check for known issues. And then pen testing, it's sort of a next level where ethical hackers will really try whole new things to come up with vulnerabilities that you could never think of. And those ones are normally never caught by vulnerability scanners. That makes a lot of sense, Luis. As a closure of this episode, is this something that our listeners can help you with? What are you looking for? Is that a call to action that you want to bring out to the world? Yeah, I mean, so I think your audience has a lot of entrepreneurs as well. And of course, well, this journey, it's a lot about uh, collaboration, a lot about uh, exchanging experiences and best uh, practices. So I would be very glad if someone would, after listening to this interview, perhaps uh, give some tips or give some directions or share some knowledge that could be interesting to know. So that would be uh, a lot of value for sure. That's a great call to action just to, as a community of entrepreneurs, help each other grow. And I will leave your contact details in the show notes. Just so uh, if you're listening to this, if you're interested to get in touch with Luis, go to the show notes and you'll find his contact details there. And with that being said, I want to thank, uh, thank Luis. Thank you very much. It was a wonderful uh, half hour to chat with you. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you had a good time too. Yeah, indeed. It was uh, wonderful. Thank you so much for the invite and uh, it was a pleasure uh, having this interview okay hope to talk soon again thank you thanks bye bye and there you have it another inspiring episode of the ideate with florian podcast as always i encourage you to visit our website at ideatewithflorian.com that is ideatewithflorian.com here you will find links related to this episode as well as other episodes my name is florian hornar and i hope this story inspires you to take your own leap of faith Thank you for joining us and until next time.